0: Fiscal year 2020, which coincided with calendar year 2020, started off busy on the federal contracting front. Lots of large deals are under protest. Some big new ones are set for award this year, and a new federal procurement policy chief should hit stride as some policy initiatives start to take hold. Joining me in studio with a look ahead, the director of government contracts at Bloomberg Government, Dan Snyder. Dan, good to have you in.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me, Tom.
0: And you have published a report on five big procurement and contracting trends that are going to shape 2020. Why don't we just march through them? What's number one?
1: Sure. So let's dissect some of the details within these five trends. The first one is the maturation of best-in-class contracts, or BICs, which have been around since rung in about 2016. But the pivot that will occur in 2020 is classifying the IT consolidation. So the government will take a keen interest in designating which dollars are unclassified and finding a home towards multiple award contracts for spending that totals about $21 billion.
0: So these types of best-in-class contracts, they want to be almost magnets for the metal shavings that are the right color of money.
1: Exactly correct. I'm mixing
0: my metaphors here, but that's the general idea. (laughs) So
1: they're technically referred to as Tier 0, and what those refer to as contract spending under non-IDVs or unaligned spending. And they'll find a home in either Tier 1 for IDVs, BPAs, OTAs, Tier 2 for non-BIC multiple award contracts, which include GWAC's federal supply schedules, or, of course, the big one, the Tier 3, which covers the government-wide best-in-class contracts.
0: Got it. So is this good or bad or neutral for operations like CIOSP at the NIH and Soup?
1: Certainly. A tremendous benefit for those large government-wide acquisition contracts like Alliant, you mentioned, at GSA or HHS's CIO SP3. Those will be benefiting from the concentration of these consolidation efforts as they push towards those tier three consolidation.
0: And multiple award schedule consolidation. That's kind of revolutionary if you've been following the multiple award schedule for umpty-ump years No more Schedule 70, 58 and so forth. What's the practical effect of that?
1: Yes. So uh, as you mentioned, Schedule 70 makes up about half of the 30 plus billion that goes through the Federal Supply Schedules Program. If you remember, uh, about two years ago, they did a similar type consolidation with just professional services. And that seemed to have widespread consensus of of minimizing contract management both on the commercial side as well as on the government side. So they're boosting that effort to the schedules program as a whole and trimming it from 24 to one contract. So we are in the midst of that transition right now. And really the most important phase that will occur within that transition, which is phase two, which triggers the mass modification and action on the, on the side of the, the, the companies and contract holders to select which contract and special item numbers or the subcategories under which they operate uh, they want to keep.
0: Because companies used to have contracts for their companies, but with different product lines, perhaps in different what used to be the categories of the multiple award schedule, you had to have multiple contracts. Exactly. If you sold computers here and marshmallow skewers over there, you were on different schedules.
1: And on the contractor side, they were kind of handcuffed to have all of the, the checkers to play the game. So this will create a, a little bit more flexibility once the initiative is complete, allow the government to compete different transactions through special item numbers And hopefully find that right mix between if something is information technology with a component of professional services included with it, it will create more flexibility on the government side to compete those orders.
0: And what is the status of the price reduction clause?
1: The price reduction clause is still being considered right now. That is not an effort that is in the scope of this initiative, but very much Of interest for contractors.
0: Sure. And let's talk about government buying as a service. And by the way, we're speaking with Dan Snyder, Director of Government Contracts at Bloomberg Government. Buying as a service is one of your trends.
1: Exactly. So this refers to the government's propensity to structure procurements as a service, which doesn't necessarily come as a new theme that we're seeing throughout the government. We've had information as a service, platform as a service, have been around for a decade now. But they're trying new ways with structuring as a service so they're not locked into this license model. So we'll see that come through in areas such as security operation centers as a service more so or with your mobile phones and the mobile back end as a service.
0: So consumption as as opposed to license.
1: Exactly. Um, so they can have a little, the government, that is, will have a little bit more flexibility in their buying attitudes. And two of these that we've seen have gone through OTAs with enterprise IT as a service. The Army is looking to operate their IT services and how they approach service to 288 bases nationwide. So that is currently being competed as a prototype through an other transaction authority and will likely progress to a full-fledged contract in the future.
0: It's kind of strange that they're treating this as a prototype and using the OTA funding, the other transaction authority, because aren't these products already commercially available?
1: They are. And this would, would just allow the government the flexibility to buy those commercially available products and services when they need them, as opposed to a set number and quantity throughout the year. The Air Force was the first to do this, and they set up a project in 2018, and the Army has followed suit in 2019.
0: And if you like having a calculator and spreadsheets, the Small Business Runway Extension Act, that's <laughs> yes. going to start folding in here as people recalculate the basis in years upon which a business can be considered small.
1: Exactly, Tom. So they are the, – the government, the small business, is changing the rules from three to five to evaluate a small business. And there was a bit of a hang-up in the rollout of this new rule because there was some uh, large or small fraction that was disenfranchised by the switch from three to five. So there will be a transition period where companies can select three to five, whatever puts them at a greater advantage – And once that phase-out period concludes, the activity moving forward will be solely based on that five-year look-back period. So in whole, this will help a tremendous amount of new companies because they'll have a greater length of time as well as the government reach their small business goals, which they've done for six years now. And looks promising moving into the coming fiscal years.
0: And I guess the other big trend, which we've talked a lot about here on this show, cybersecurity becoming a cost of doing business. And this has a couple of manifestations.
1: Yes, our clients have had a tremendous amount of interest in how this is going to be unrolled. But it's going to be hugely impactful to potentially hundreds of thousands of U.S. companies. In fiscal 2020, the Department of Defense will become the first agency to require mandatory cybersecurity certification for all contractors handling controlled, unclassified information. So this will be monitored and authorized by a third independent party assessment. And will somewhat resemble what we see with cloud services and their adoption of the FedRAMP model. But the cyber maturity model certification is built on voluntary compliance through the National Institute of Standards and Technology and will have minimally viable standards. So level one will be a minimal minimum baseline of security hygiene and process. And then level five will be the the super one that companies such as Amazon and the heavy hitters will be forced to comply with for certain requirements that meet these CMMC mandates.
0: All right. And uh, briefly then, what, what do you see as the spending trends and what are a couple of the biggest opportunities for contractors coming in 2020?
1: The report uh, that we're discussing breaks down three sections. The heaviest is those five trends. And then we also look at some of the spending trends that have occurred in fiscal 2019. Overall, we're seeing a huge boost in spending year over year. We saw an increase from $561 billion in fiscal 2018. To 594 billion in fiscal 2019. That's DOD
0: uh, and civilian combined.
1: Combined the two agencies and the the, the concentration of that spending in Carriers the last to fiscal copiers. years, yes, is is certainly at the Pentagon. They account for 402 billion. Of that nearly 600 billion, which is obligated by federal agencies. And that's across the board. And increases in the last three years at your top three Air Force, Navy, and Army are seeing increases since 2015 of about 30 to 40 billion in each of those bureau component agencies.
0: So it's a good year to tuck that napkin into your neck and feast at the table. It
1: is certainly. I'm. It's the fifth year of increases. So, certainly a good time to be optimistic operating in the government contracting market.
0: Dan Snyder is Director of Government Contracts at Bloomberg Government. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Tom. We'll post this interview and a link to where you can download that report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.